Gary Chapman, Dr. Gary Chapman has been called the relationship counselor of America, and he's written several very popular books. One of them is called The Five Love Languages. How many of you have ever read familiar with that book? Great. So let's do a little survey. Here are the five. The first love language is words of affirmation. That is, the way you express love is by affirming others. If that's you, give us a woohoo. Woohoo! All right, good. The other love language happens to be... Um, Quality time, that means you give, the way you show love is by giving undivided attention. Let's hear a woohoo from you. <laughs> All right, the third love language is acts of service. That is, the way you show love is by serving others. Let's get a woohoo from you. Woo okay. The next kind is uh, gift giving. That is, the way you show love is you give gifts. Let's hear a woohoo from you. Woo love you people. All right. <laughs> And the last one is through personal touch. The way you show love is, is through touch. And so if that's you, woohoo. Woo! Wow, amazing. And if you have no love language, let's hear uh oh uh from you. All right, all right. Everybody has everybody has love language, and we all we all use it. We have a primary, he says, and a secondary. And he says, the love language you use is a uh, indicator of how you like to receive love yourself. So, for instance, if my love language is words of affirmation, that means that the way I like to receive love is being, is being affirmed. Or if it's uh, acts of service, it means the way I like to uh, be loved is through acts of service as well. So we speak the love language we like. Keep that in mind and turn over to Luke chapter 10 with me and let's meet two sisters who both really loved God very much but had different ways of going about expressing it, and it caused a little problem. While you're doing that, let me remind you that, you know, our mantra, so to speak, is to worship passionately, attend regularly, give generously, and serve humbly. That's how we establish this Jesus lifestyle that we're talking about in our series, The Jesus Lifestyle. Verse 38, here we go. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So let's move into the kitchen where Martha is. Let me ask you this question. What was Martha's love language? Service, right? Acts of service. Jesus is coming. His entourage of the 12 are coming. And she's putting on this amazing meal. I'm guessing this roast lamb in the oven. There's pots of water boiling, there's dishes collecting, there's veg vegetables being uh, peeled and washed and readied, olives, fresh dates, fresh fruit, pita, hummus, and all kinds of food that she's just laying out there to express to God how much she loves him. Now let's go visit Mary in the living room. Let me ask you this question. What is Mary's love language? It's quality of time. It's undivided attention to Jesus, listening to his every word, worshiping and adoring him. Now, we know from the story that 
when Jesus responds to Martha's request, tell my sister to get in here and help me, he reveals that the preferred love language he would like to see from Martha is not this great big meal. But what he desires, what he wishes, is that Martha would just take her apron off and come join Mary and just listen and just be with him. Even if it means the roast is going to burn, the dishes are going to accumulate, and the water's going to boil over, give it up. Now, we're never told what Martha does. We don't know if she untied her apron and let the you know, meal just kind of go its way and sat down with Mary, or she sheepishly kind of tiptoed back in the kitchen, maybe muttering to herself, and did her best to complete the meal. Actually, from history and culture, we know that Martha was doing the right thing. I mean, in, that, in those days, that was kind of her responsibility to make sure that, you know, the meal was ready and hospitality took place. It's Mary who goes against the cultural grain. I mean, it was rare for a female to be a disciple of a rabbi. And so Jesus doesn't even support what the culture mandates. <laughs> he says, that's where you belong. Now, don't misunderstand Jesus. He's not saying that he doesn't appreciate acts of service. He doesn't condemn Martha for what she's trying to do. I mean, Jesus himself once said, I did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. And Jesus certainly spoke the love language of service. And he encouraged his disciples to serve one another. The issue here for Jesus happens to be priority. Martha's got the wrong priorities. She is bent on expressing her love her way, and she wants Jesus to accept it like that. And what Jesus, in essence, is saying to her is, look, the way I want to receive love is I want you to first be still. I want you to make a priority being with me. And Jesus, obviously, is very wise in what he says because there's a real danger when we allow service to dominate the way we worship God, the way we express love to God. And all of us, especially in this American culture we live in, we're all predisposed to being like Martha. We are busy people. Even our kids are busy, busy at school, busy with club programs. Even those of us who are very involved in the church are busy, busy, busy. And when you get busy, what happens is you lose the relational aspect of your relationship with God, and it moves from relationship to religion. And whenever it becomes religion, I go from being with God to doing something for God. And when I start doing something for God, I become legalistic. And when I become legalistic, I become self-righteous. And when I become self-righteous, I become like a Pharisee. It's now all about what I do for God. And how do I ever know if I've done enough for God? I compare myself to you. I have to. Otherwise, I'll never know if it's enough. And so now I'm in this competition thing. Now I justify myself because I do more for God than you do for God. And then I also become condemning and critical of you because I don't think you're doing enough for God. And then I start bargaining with God. Now, I know nobody in this service does this. Probably in the other services, but not in this service, all right? But you know, every once in a while I hear people pray, and I have even heard myself pray something like this. Lord, you see how I sacrifice for you? You see how I serve you? 
God, you see, I'm trying to do my best for you. God, why don't you fill in the blank? Right? It's as though we think to ourselves, and it's just our sinful nature, that we can somehow earn favor with God by what we do for God. But listen carefully. We all know this, but I'm going to say it again. There's nothing you can do to ever earn God's favor. We are saved by grace through faith, not by any amount of works. And so what Jesus says is, I want you to follow Mary's example. I want you to stop, drop. I just want you to be with me. I want you to be in the relationship with me. I want you to worship me. I want you to listen to me. I think about Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah, Moses, Jesus is there. Jesus is being glorified. And Peter sees all this and he says, let's just build three little homes here. One for Elijah, one for Moses, one for you, Jesus. And let's step on top of the mountain. Peter's always opening his mouth saying something, wanting to do something, and then God speaks out of the cloud, and God says, this is my son, listen to him. Peter, listen to him. Stop doing. Chill out. Just listen. Just be aware of him. Just be aware of him. That's what God wants us to do. Then out of that, out of that, we go do our thing. Which then is an entirely different motive. Now I'm doing my acts of service in the kitchen or whatever it happens to be. I'm doing it out of love because of all that he's done for me. So here's the question. Are you more like Martha or are you more like Mary? And that's a hard one to answer. It's kind of embarrassing, right? So I'll make it easier for you. How many of you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you lean toward being more like Martha than Mary. If that's you, then just kind of lean and raise your hand. All right? That's a lot of us, isn't it? A lot of us lean that way. Wouldn't that much easier than if I just asked you straight forward, are you like Martha? We all lean that way. And again, we're conditioned toward it because of the culture we live in. How do you know, though, how do you actually know if you're more like Martha or Mary? Is there some kind of little test that we can take? Well, Tim Keller, commenting on this passage, says that there's, there's probably one little way we can find out from the passage. He says, look at your prayer life. What kind of prayers do you pray? Well, I looked at that and I thought, okay, well, where's, where's there a prayer in here? And he reminded me that there's a prayer at the end of verse 40. It's Martha's prayer. Here's her prayer. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. That's her prayer. And I'm convinced Martha was the older sister. I'm convinced Mary was the younger. I'm the oldest son. I, I get young, younger siblings. They're lazy. I, mean, no, I, was, I don't know what that was. Don't worry. How many of you are oldest? Older? You know I'm right, right? How many of you are younger? Oh, it's way too many younger ones in this place. <laughs> wow, that's the way it always goes. Anyway, I, I'm convinced, right? I mean, Mary's prayer, or Martha's prayer, what is it? It's like, Lord, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to show you how much I love you by how busy I am. And my little sister over here, I don't know that for sure, but I think she was a little sister. My little sister over here isn't helping me, and so I'm falling behind. The, the pots are boiling over, the pans are are adding up. The, the lamb's in danger of you know, burning up. I need you to help me fix this by telling her to get in the kitchen. And when I thought about that, and when I phrased it in my mind that way, I realized, oh my goodness, how many times I must pray what I call the fix-it prayer. 
God, there's so much we could do for you if you would just fix those people. God, could you just, could you fix my wife? Then everything would be better. God, could you fix my kids? God, could you fix my finances? God, could you fix my neighbor? God, can you fix my boss, my coworkers? God, could you fix the pastors? God, could you fix my students? How many of you, besides me, pray fix the prayers all the time? And the idea is, God, if you fix this, then I'll be able to do more for you. And what Jesus, in essence, is saying here is, I don't want to hear your fix it prayers. I just want you to park it. I just want you to be here. And Martha's like over here in the kitchen saying, but God, I want to show you love my way. How are you married? See your hands. You know, Marsha and I speak different love language. And it's taking me a while, I'm a slow learner, it's taking me a while to figure some things out, but you know, there's been times in our relationship where it's our anniversary or her birthday or Mother's Day or something like that, and I decide I want to do something nice to her. Now, her love language is quality time, undivided attention. My love language is somewhere between acts of service and gift giving. And so I will then come up with this idea, day at the spa or clean the house top to bottom and you know, go out for a nice dinner, whatever it is. I come up with this idea and I go through this whole thing in my mind and then I produce it, I make it happen. And I can tell, I can just tell, and she's always gracious about it, she's a gracious woman. I can always, and I have her permission to tell this, I, I, I can always tell when it doesn't, when it's not quite what she wanted it to be. And you just read that in your spouse, right? Married family, married couples, right? You read that in your spouse? Are you with me or not? Yes, you're afraid to admit it, right? You read that in your spouse. And then she'll eventually say to me, I really appreciate everything you did, but I would have been just as happy if you'd packed a simple lunch and we'd gone on a bike ride or on a long walk and sat in the meadow and you just looked into my eyes and just told me that you love me and you just listened to me. And when she says that to me, it ticks me off. You can give your spouse an elbow if it ticks you off too. Because what I want her to do is go, oh, 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 you're an amazing man. I just appreciate so much what you did. That's my love language too. It's not her love language. I need to learn to speak her love language. If I really you know, love her, and I do, I'll speak her language to show that to her. And I think sometimes we're the same way with God. This is how I'm going to please you. This is how I'm going to love you. Here's how I'm going to serve you. You need to accept the way I bring it to you. We don't quite say it, but that's what's going on. Instead of saying, okay, God, this might be how I'm prone to act and behave, but this is what you want. I will learn your love language, your primary love language. I'll give you my undivided attention. And I know you struggle with that, because I struggle with it too. It's hard just to be still with God because your mind's just racing with all the stuff you think you need to do. So how do we get there? How do we get to that place where we want to be with God? Well, look at chapter 11, verse 1. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. We're going to stop right there. You can read the rest of the prayer if you want. I did a sermon series on prayer in June. You can go back, listen. I think it's the second weekend 
I talked about the Lord's Prayer and what it means and how to follow the pattern. I said prayer always begins with God because he first communicates to us through his word, through his spirit. We're just responding back to him. But in this very first part of the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us something very important. See, Jesus lived out and lived on his relationship to his father. John chapter 5, read it sometime. He talks about how special how special his relationship with his father was. He says, I know that my father loves me and I love him. It sustained him, it strengthened him. There's only one time in the Bible when he doesn't really refer to God as his father. And I'll tell you where it is and when and why in just a moment. But I want you to grasp this with me for just a moment that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God is your father too. And you may have grown up without a father. You may have grown up with a terrible father figure. I am sorry for that. But listen carefully to me. Don't make God that kind of father too. That's not who he is. God really does love you. In fact, he invites you not to treat him as a distant father way out there, but... As a very close father, look what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. If you want to turn there with me for just a moment. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. Paul says, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit you received, does not make you slaves that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, if you're a, a female, to daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, which in the Hebrew means daddy. We cry, daddy, father. The spirit itself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Do you, do you know God that way? Romans 8, 15, do you know him as your daddy? Is there that intimacy? Is there that vulnerability? Is there that closeness? Do you think of him as your Abba? You talk to him as your Abba. You treat him as your Abba. There's there's an aspect of this that's very difficult to put into words. Let me tell you where Marsha and I were last weekend. And by the way, one of our new campus pastors spoke here. We listened to him. I thought Brad did a terrific job. But uh, we were in Vienna, Austria. Because our oldest son, Ben, and his wife, Sarah, and our two grandsons, Harrison and Xander, moved there last July. There are missionaries there. Say, what's a missionary in Vienna? Well, he's the principal of an international Christian school there of the high school and the middle school program. It's a unique school because they accept unbelieving students. In the Austrian school system, the public school system, they bully foreigners. Really hard for foreigners to fit in. Some UN offices are there and other government, European government offices are there. A lot of those kids just don't fit in the Austrian system, so they come into this Christian school. They're from different religions and backgrounds, and... At the school, they, they have chapel, they teach the Bible, and of course, all the other classes as well. And they have this tremendous opportunity to influence for Christ. It's amazing. They keep the tuition low, so you know, the, the faculty has to go and raise their support for the most part. So I hadn't seen my grandsons for like seven months, which for me is not a good thing. Marcia has been over a couple times to see them. And I was so looking forward to reconnecting with my grandsons. Have a close relationship. We each have a close relationship with each of our grandchildren. And I connected with Xander, the six-year-old. That 
you know, he's six, and the connection there's a little different, but, you know, we connected pretty quick, and he's just kind of busy doing his thing, right? But I was struggling to connect with my grandson, Harrison. There's a closeness there, and I was like, man, I'm, it was just like we hadn't seen each other. How do we, how do we get that closeness back? And he was a little, not standoffish, but it just wasn't what it was when they lived here in the States and close by. So I'm thinking, man, you know, what happened? How do I get this back? And about two days before we left to come home, we are getting ready to go for a walk in Vienna and take the train and the bus, because everywhere you go, you walk, you take trains. And it was cold there, and he took my gray stocking cap I brought, and he put it on. He said, I'm going to wear Papa's hat. Man, I just made me feel like a million dollars. He's wearing my hat, trying to be like me. So I thought... I don't want to lose this, so I said, well, I'll wear your Stormtrooper stopping cap, which has a big ball at the top. It's got the Stormtrooper on the front. So here I am in a sophisticated city of Vienna with a Stormtrooper uh, uh, winter hat on, and he's got my old man gray hat on, right? And he's holding my hand, and I'm feeling pretty good. Next thing I know, we're on the trains. He comes, and he insists on standing next to me. Doesn't say much, just stands there, holds my hand. When there's an open seat, two open seats, he grabs one, puts his hand on the other one, and says, this is for Papa. And I'd sit by him. Then we'd go to a restaurant, and he'd say, I have to sit by Papa. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the bonding, man, was just boom, right there. Of course, we had to leave, but it was right there. I cannot tell you how much that meant to me. It was worth the ticket and more. It was such a high. It just, the feeling of just seeing this little boy who's saying, I want to be with Papa. I want to be like Papa. I'll even wear his old hat as an expression of nearness. It goes beyond words for me. And I'm, I'm telling you that story because, because the same thing is true with God. It just makes God's heart swell with joy when we just want to be with him and near him and like him. And we have to get rid of this idea that God is just some force out there, some faraway figure. We need awareness of God. Because if I see him as my father, if I'm aware of his presence, I'm going, and I know he loves me that way, like, like I love my grandson and, you know, tend to the infinite power more than I could ever love my grandson. We want to be with him. So look what the passage goes on and does when it talks about awareness of God. Verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, what is it that Jesus is talking about seeking, asking, knocking for that he's so willing and ready to give us? Keep reading, verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
In other words, what Jesus is saying here, and let's take it back to the kitchen, is that when Martha says, tell my sister, answer my prayer, tell my sister, I'm seeking, knocking, asking, tell her to come in the kitchen and help me, in essence, what Jesus is saying is, if I do that, I'm giving you a scorpion, Martha. And I don't want to give you a scorpion. That's not what you need. I'm only going to enable your continued idea that closeness to me is serving me. What I want you to do is I want you to come here and be aware of my presence. So what does Jesus say we ought to seek, ask, and knock for? He tells us at the very end, for the Holy Spirit. For the presence, power, and awareness of the, of the Spirit of God. You and I don't have to ask for the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. He came in Acts 2 and beyond. He now comes into our life the moment we ask Jesus into our hearts. But what we do need to do is come and get along with God and pray for the presence of the Spirit to overwhelm and overtake our lives. To take control of our minds, to take control of our emotions, to take control of our will, our finances, our relationships. To take over our lives, to flood us with his presence so that, so that we long every day to come to the, the watering hole, so to speak, the place where we are filled because service empties you. Being with God fills you to go out and overflow with him and spill over on everybody else. Now, don't you want that in your life? Let's be honest. Some of us are running ragged. Some of us are weary and exhausted because we give, 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 but we never take, we never take. And the only way we're ever going to be able to take is if we sit and we're with God and we let him love on us and we love on him and we get filled with his presence and his power. You can always tell the people who are, take, who are giving and not taking because they're cranky. Know any cranky people? Look at the passage of scripture we read earlier in Matthew, or in uh, Luke 10, 38. Would you say that Martha was a little cranky? She was cranky because things weren't working her way. Because she wasn't where she needed to be. She had her priorities mixed up. God loves you. God made a way for you to be able to come into his presence. That's why I said earlier, the only time that Jesus ever says or doesn't refer to God as his father is on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This one theologian says, in essence, at that moment, what happened is that God literally pushed his son out of the family in order to bring us into the family. So we could know him as our Abba. Ken Robinson, great preacher, was a mentor to me, told a story of when he was in seminary. He said a pastor came to speak at their chapel a long time ago. He told about a couple in his church, a father and mother and son. The father died, the husband died while the boy was little, and the mother brought the boy up, and they had a very strong relationship to each other. Every night, they'd listen to the radio together this before the days of television. They'd read books, they'd read books to each other, they'd talk. They just formed a very special bond. And as all boys do, one day Grunt became a man and met a girl at church and got married. And it was during the time of World War II, and it was hard to find a home to be able to even afford a home. 
And the mother said to her son and daughter-in-law, why don't you just live with me? I'm in this two-story house. I'll make a little apartment on the second story, and you and your wife can live and have the entire first floor. I only have one request. I just want to ask you to please, son, once or twice a week, come up to my apartment, and let's just, let's just spend some time together like we've always done. Listen to the radio, read, talk. I just would cherish that so much. And the son talked to his wife, and they both agreed this would be fine. And he said to her, he said, Mom, I want you to know that that time means just as much to me as it means to you. And I'm really looking forward to it. So all the arrangements were made. And within the first couple of months, he was going upstairs once, twice a week, and they were having a wonderful time together, but life got busy. And soon, instead of going upstairs, it was a phone call upstairs. And then... A little while after that, it was kind of just trading glances and a wave at each other. Well, one day it was her birthday, and he went down to the local dress shop and bought her a beautiful dress, had it boxed, had it wrapped, and he brought it upstairs. She untied the bow and lifted the lid off and held up the dress and looked at it, and he said, Mom, do you like the dress? And she said, oh, yes, it's, it's fine, it's, it's nice. He said, well, Mom, I got the sales slip here, and if you don't like the color or don't like the style, the clerk said we could bring it back and could give you the dress that you like, the dress that you want. She goes, oh, no, 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 this, this is a nice dress. And he said, Mom, I've just, I've just been with you too long. I know, I know there's something wrong. What's going on? Well, she went over to her bedroom and opened the clothes closet. And there he saw hanger after hanger after hanger of dresses. And she said to him, you know, I got all the dresses I could ever wear. Son, I don't want another dress. I just want you. I just want you. I think sometimes we're like that son. God, look at everything I do for you. God says, I don't want you to do anything for me. I did it all for you. I just want you. I just want you. I just want you to be near me. I just want you to be still. I just want you to let me love you the way you are. Let's pray. Father God, we, many of us, clean myself to confess that we run with Martha. We're very busy. And oftentimes, Father, we justify our busyness by saying it's for you. And sometimes, Lord, it is. And sometimes it's not. It's just busy for busyness or busy for ourselves or busy for money or busy for our kids or busy for success or busy for trophies. And we ask you to forgive us. But Father, there's no sense in asking you to forgive us if we're just going to go right back this week and be busy again. So we ask you to forgive us and we ask you to help us. Help us to make the time to be still. And to let you love us. To hold open your word before you and let you speak to us.
Lord, help us to find that time to tell you we love you. And it just rests in your fatherly Abba presence. Help us, Lord, to make it our goal in life to bring joy to your heart by being with you as much as doing anything for you. Lord, give us a yearning to be filled with your spirit. Give us a longing to be aware of your presence. And Lord, may all the things that distract us suddenly become things that we we don't want in our lives so that we pick and choose what's pleasing to you. Help us, Lord. In these next few minutes, the worship team is going to sing a song about drawing close to God. And uh, as, as I sing this, I just at first want you to listen. And draw close to God. And then, as Colin leads us, we'll join in a little later on and express our desire for God. If it's possible, you don't have to walk out right now and disturb the service. We'd appreciate that. Don't run to something. Just be still.